This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you're listening to episode 200. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwired.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. What can I say? We made it to 200 episodes of the Planet Microcap podcast. I'm really at a loss for words here. And I, I can't believe we're now, we're here, you know, since starting the pod back in July, 2015. I've had so much fun hosting this podcast and I'm really excited for what's ahead with Planet Microcap and the SNN Podcast Network. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing your insights, your knowledge, and thank you for all your support. I'm also excited to announce our newest sponsor, Quarter. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Visit your app store of choice to try it out. And that's spelled Q-U-A-R-T-R. We're so excited to work with the team over there. And uh, yeah, welcome. So we are also about one month away from the SNN Network Canada virtual event happening December 7th through 9, 2021. Please go to canada.snn.network to see the list of issuers that will be joining us. Paul Andriola on behalf of Small Cap Discoveries and myself on behalf of SNN Network are teaming up again to highlight our neighbors to the north, Canada. In the last five to 10 years, Paul and his team have been finding value creative opportunities, and we're so excited to host an event that encapsulates those opportunities available on the TSX, TSX Ventures, CSE, and NEO. You can expect three days of keynotes, educational panels, company presentations, and one-on-one meetings. To register, please go to canada.snn.network and click the register button. We look forward to seeing you all there. Now for episode 200 of the Planet Microcap podcast, I welcome back Ian Castle and Mike Schellinger, the co-founders of Microcap Club. For those who don't know, Microcap Club is the preeminent microcap investing forum known for springboarding the careers of some of the best investors we know, not just in microcap, but just in general. And more importantly, has profiled many of the most well-known microcap winners. Ian Castle was my first ever guest on Planet Microcap. Mike has been a guest three times, and I can't thank them enough for their support of the Planet Microcap podcast. Microcap Club was started in 2011, so I was thrilled we could celebrate both episode 200 and their 10-year anniversary all in one episode. Listen in to hear how Microcap Club came to be, its evolution, the incredible culture that has been cultivated there, how their investing styles have changed, and much more. So thank you again for tuning into episode 200 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Ian Castle and Mike Schellinger.
back, everybody, to the Planet Microcap podcast. This is a very special episode for me and our team here. This is episode 200. And uh, I wanted to put something very special together for all of you. And our episode 200 just happened to fall in the same year. And I swear, Ian, Mike, I planned it that way. I would be (laughs) realized. So, uh, you know, episode 200 happened to fall in the same year as the 10-year anniversary since the founding and launch of Microcap Club. So why not celebrate two big occasions in, in one podcast? And uh, so joining me right now are the co-founders of Microcap Club, uh, two gentlemen I respect more than anybody can know in microcaps. I've learned so much from both of them. I mean, Ian's been on the pod, I think, three times. Uh, Mike, we're still we're still working on our third appearance. This, I guess this is technically his third appearance. But either way, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, I figured we'd dig in a little bit because while, you know, within our microcap universe, you know, especially those who are part of Microcap Club, I bet some of the newer members probably don't know some of the history and how this all started, especially since we haven't had any in-person Microcap Club leadership summits in the last two years. So uh, I, uh, let's start off with a little backstory. You know, how did you guys meet? And then what what was the impetus to then starting Microcap Club? Sure, I can I can lead off. Um, you know, so back when I was getting started as a microcap investor, this would have been the early 2000s. And I think Mike got started a little bit earlier than that. But most of the activity level on microcap companies was on uh, public stock message boards, you know, like Raging Bull, like Investors Hub, um, Yahoo Finance to a lesser extent. You know, and, and it makes sense because most microcaps, especially the smaller ones, are mainly owned by retail investors. And it's just those stock message boards were just places that people would gravitate to have those conversations and discussions. And so, you know, I think probably where I first met Mike was most likely on one of those boards. We were we were talking about it prior to this and trying to remember if it was Raging Bull or if it was Investors Hub or somewhere else. But, you know, it's likely on one of those those message boards how we how we first met. Mike, see, I figure Mike remembers the stock that you guys were probably talking about. That that was what was that first conversation? Uh, I won't ask what it was on here, but you know, I'm sure I'd love to hear your your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I don't actually remember. I I think what happened is is that we found ourselves in um, a number of stocks together. You know, it was like one of us would invest and the other would invest in it. And, you know, we'd see on the message and some message board somewhere that we were both invested in it. And, you know, at some point in time, we, you know, we decided to talk more in depth, um, just not just on the message boards offline. And, and uh, that's, that's how we got to know each other. Very cool. So then, so then who was the first one to say, all right, let's, you know, clearly there's something here, you know, we realize that there are, you know, a lot of Mike and Ian's going on to Yahoo Finance, Raging Bull Investors Hub to look, to go and talk on the message boards, get more information, you know, see who else is looking at these similar stocks. You know, what then led to from that to, all right, Microcap Club, you know, Ian, Mike? I, oh, that's all. I think it was, <laughs> yeah, I think it was like two primary drivers of that made that decision. Like number one was a personal one. And then also another one was more just the, how those public message boards that we were both a part of evolved. You know, there's good and bad about public message boards. You know, the good is it's public. You get a lot of views. You know, anybody can view it. 
Um, the bad is that you get a lot of views and everybody can view it. And, you know, you also get, you know, 95% of the posters not really being value add, you know, to those stock message boards. And there's a lot of just negativity that can take place, you know, on, on public stock forums. Um, then on the personal level, you know, I think it was between 2005 and 2009, 2010, uh, I also had my own personal blog that I was running and I was, I've always been a very concentrated investor. So I was just posting about what I liked and why, you know, over those four or five years, and just over time, it got such a, a following that it really began to move the markets and the stocks that I was talking about. And it's, you know, it's great for the ego, but I just also didn't like that either. And so I decided to, to shut down my personal blog, um, but also reflecting on, on a lot of the, the good people that I met on the public message boards as well, just thinking, okay, you know, it'd be great if we can kind of combine the, the both of these things. You know, I enjoy talking about what I like and why, but I also want to kind of keep it private. And I want to, you know, it'd be great to have a forum where you had nothing but experienced microcap investors, you know, talking about what they liked and why. So you had a certain quality level, you know, associated with that and kept out, you know, a lot of the people that shouldn't be, you know, participating. And so that's, that's kind of how microcap club.com launched, launched that in 2011. And, you know, slowly and sh but surely we can get into some of those iterations, you know, kind of become what it is today. And, you know, we had our, like you said, 10 year anniversary um, on in July of 2011, which is really hard to believe. And Mike, Mike was one of the first members that joined up to Microcap Club at that time, you know, probably late 2011, you know, something like that, Mike joined. And uh, he was a, he was a great member from the very beginning. And uh, then he would later come on, you know, a few years after that as a partner, you know, into the in, into the company as well, and really help really build, you know, what Microcap Club is today. Very cool. Yeah, no, I think before Paul went on his insane run, Mike was number one for I think like seven years, eight years, like in a row, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how long it was, but it was a while. <laughs> <laughs> still top five. Okay. You know, that's, that's still pretty good, but, but Mike, so, you know, you joined in, in 2011 and then decided to come on as a partner, you know, a couple of years yeah. later, you know, what, what inspired you to, to do that? Well, um, I was looking for, you know, something else to do in addition to investing, um, in the microcap space and, and Ian and I started talking and we went through a couple of different ideas and eventually it turned out to, uh, you know, we, you know, I joined up with him a microcap club and, and, and that was also the point shortly after I joined up, it took us about a year or so, but, um, um, that we added the subscriber option to microcap club because it was a needed, you know, um, a needed piece for, you know, funds and, and people that, uh, weren't, uh, in a position to, to become members, to join and, and, you know, follow the, the, uh, the discussions in a read-only uh, format. I'd like to take a quick second to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Quarter. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world, straight from your pocket for no cost. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. The first step on this journey is to let you, the user, interact with the company's content while you're listening. 
Visit your app store of choice and try it out today by searching for Quarter. And that's Q-U-A-R-T-R. Now back to the show. Very cool. So obviously Microcap Club has evolved over the years, including criteria for letting members in. But back at that time, you know, what was some of you know, that, that initial criteria to, to let people in. I mean, listen, there wasn't as many microcap investors at that time. So I'm, I'm assuming it was being able to at least put like a couple sentences together. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, and it, it, that's the hard part about having a private um, forum to a certain, because you don't have those network effects that naturally take hold if it was public. And so, you know, you're talking about really limiting, you know, your audience, the amount of views you get, but also the amount of participants and so when we when I first launched the site in 2011, it was mainly me asking a few people that I knew that were already experienced microcap mem- uh, investors to come on board with me. And uh, I think that's when Mike Mike came on board. And you know, I think for the first year or two, we also had a referral kind of system. We didn't even have the application process yet. It was just like, hey, you know, I trust you. You're a you know you're a good investor. Why don't you invite a friend to come join us? And that's how it that's how it grew. In fact, it grew really quickly to about a thousand members in about a year. Um, but the problem was that I saw it was you know the people didn't earn the right to get in, and so they weren't a lot of them weren't participating, you know. And so over time, it was like you know what I would rather have two hundred members that are really participating in this forum versus showing ten thousand members when it's just you're just showing a number it doesn't really mean anything. Uh, in addition to that. You know, there needs to be, you know, it's like the carrot to come on board and, and, and have conversations with like-minded investors, but there also needs to be a stick to where, you know, you get in, if you're not participating, you know, you need to be kicked out, you know, and so people feel like, you know, kind of both sides of that. And so it took, you know, probably three or four years to get kind of the application process in place and the systems in place and kind of the pruning of the membership base in place uh, to where, you know, it took three, four or five years probably until... I felt and probably Mike felt like we didn't have to engage and be the conversation on a daily basis to keep the discussion going on certain company threads. Uh, it took like, you know, probably four or five years for that. And, you know, but it did. And luckily, you know, today we have, I think, some of the best microcap investors on the planet, you know, on the forum. Um, we still have, you know, attrition of members, you know, because not only, you know, maybe if people aren't communicative or discuss things, you know, they also gravitate out of the forum because they take an analyst position and they become a fund manager, which might prohibit them from participating. You know, there's lots of reasons why they, they might move up and out of microcap club. But, you know, today it's a, it's a really cool ecosystem of kind of like-minded investors. And, and over time, you know, there's been several other things that we've added to try to uh, add more engagement. You know, we have, we track the performance. I think, I think it's 20, Early 20, actually mid 2012, we started company performance where we would track the company performance of every company that was profiled on our forum and tag that to each member. And then a few years later, we kind of created our, our uh, member ranking system, which would allow people to then see who the best ranked members are based on the aggregate cumulative gains of the companies they profiled. Um, and it's a pretty simple system. It's like, you know, if you profile a stock at a dollar, it goes to two. You know that's a hundred percent gain. Well, your ranking, your ranking of points is a hundred. You know, likewise, it can bring it back down if you produce losers. You know, in the club, and so it's a it's a real honest assessment, a simple assessment. Our member ranking today, and obviously, you see Paul Andreola at the top of that with you know twenty thousand plus points. I think now, and and you know, a big reason of that is obviously Expel, which I think is up 
20,000, you know, percent. So it kind of makes sense, you know, when you think about that um, and you see those power laws present, obviously a micro cap to drive those, those types of returns in that member ranking. Uh, but Mike, is there any other things that we've added along the way that, that you think, you know, kind of helped get us to where we are? Um, well, um, we added uh, one of the things that was really nice is uh, we added an ability to follow particular companies because now we have, I forget, it's what, like 700 plus companies on Microcap Club and, and uh, you know, it allows people to focus on maybe the four or five that they're invested in or that they're interested in and they can get automated emails just on posts on those companies. And I think that's helped a lot in terms of, um, you know, helping people to sort of you know, go through the forest and find the trees. Um, I mean, I'll add to that as a subscriber, you can follow pretty much anything you want and you get notified in your email. Any, well, uh, you get notified anytime there's a new post on that, uh, on that thread or, you know, a new discussion, or actually if there's a <laughs> doing a commercial for microcap club right now. Um, <laughs> so, and anybody, anybody that, uh, that, that you follow, like if I follow Ian, anytime you post something, I would get an, a notification, in my email as well. So it's, I, I thought those are really cool features as well, but you know, Mike, one question I, I wanted to come to you on was, there's clearly this incredible culture that you guys have cultivated here on Microcap Club. You know, how, tell us a little bit about, you know, what that culture is and maybe some of the, the what you've needed to do in order to maintain that culture. Yeah, I think it's one of the, the things that personally for me, I'm proudest and happiest about with Microcap Club um, is Ian and I's experience, you know, before Microcap Club is a lot of these message boards, you know, they would devolve into, into fighting. And, you know, Ian and I didn't really want to have to deal with a lot of that. So, you know, a big part of that, I think, is our application process. You know, people have to invest, you know, a fair amount of time to apply, become a member. And, and there's this congeniality on, on Microcap Club that I've never seen anywhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, Ian and I can probably count on, you know, a couple of hands, the times we've had to intervene and say, Hey, you know, you guys cool. it." <laughs> um, and so it's, it's a very collaborative environment. Um, I think it's also because of the microcap space. I mean, you know, the microcap space is huge. Um, and it's something that no one person can really go and, you know, learn about every company um, in the space and know everything about all those companies. So, you know, there, there's this aspect of wanting to help each other that's there in Microcap Club. And um, I think it's really helped us that, you know, and helped everybody that's participated in the ecosystem of, you know, getting the benefit of multiple minds, um, multiple eyes looking at, um, you know, all these companies. Absolutely. Ian, you want to add anything to that? Well, and I think one of the things that, you know, because most of these small, great companies that hopefully become great, you know, they're first discovered by retail investors. And a lot of times it's a smaller retail investor. And so it's important if we want to have created a community of investors that find these great companies early, you know, it was important that we had a membership system and an application process that didn't force them to, to actually pay a fee, you know, because a lot of times it is that, that um, you know, college student that's a sophomore that, you know, has 28 hours a day to, to look and find one of these companies that ends up discovering it. And, you know, it was important that whether it was a person like that, or it was a, somebody managing a $1 billion, you know, fund, 
that they would be on the same level, you know, when they, when they, and how they got in. So it doesn't matter if you're, you know, you're worth a billion or you're, or you have $2,000 in the bank, you, both those individuals have to get in and become a member the exact same way. And I, so everybody's I mean, kind of on an equal playing field. Yeah. Or, or a sophomore in high school that uh, shout out to Michael Lou right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, another interesting pattern that I've seen with microcap club over the years, you know, and I, I think this term has probably taken a whole new meaning in the last 18 months for, you know, stocks that aren't microcaps, this idea of cult stocks, you know, because there's, there's a few names within microcaps that are maybe first profiled on there that almost get this like cult-like status. I mean, we talked, you talked about Expel. I mean, I think we can all agree over the last three, four years before it really took off, like that had that cult-like status around it because everybody was just like, they saw the numbers, they saw who was profiling and it, and it, and then, you know, of course they, they performed and the next thing, you know, it was uh, in, in the next stratosphere. So can you talk about that kind of phenomenon as well as like being basically kind of creating the culture around, you know, and and facilitating some of these microcap cult names that folks might not have heard of. Mike, do you want to take that? Um, well, you know, I I think that Ian and I would say we're not looking to create cult stocks. Um, you know, we we um, it just happens. You know, pe- a lot of people gravitate towards toward, you know, especially if they're they perform well, people are going to gravitate towards them. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's sort of kind of what happens on, on message boards in general and, and, you know, a micro cap club in, in particular, it does happen. Um, but, you know, Ian and I will sometimes even step in when it gets a little bit too rah, 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 um, you know, to try to keep people being rational because, um, you know, you know, we want to facilitate people being good investors and, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's part of, you know, running microcap club. Well, and it's, and it's important to, to also, it's, it's easy to pick on expel, but that is an anomaly, you know, for every company that, right. that has a cult following that does an expel type move, there's a hundred others that have a cult like following that went down. So, it's important to kind of have a, a rational mindset. And it's also why, you know, some of the best performing or not, probably, you know, there's, there's quite a few winners on Microcap club that didn't have much discussion, you know, either, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that Mike and I think about all the time is, you know, oh wow, here's a company that was up, you know, 500% this year. And there was, you know, two posts on it, you know, why was that happening? And so trying to, trying to, trying to bring some of those names back to the forefront of people's minds so we can get discussion going on them, you know, because there is lots of microcaps out there, as you know, Bobby, you know, it's like there's 20,000 stocks in North America, 10,000 of them are microcaps. So there's quite a few to comb through. And I'm always amazed every day, but doing this for 20 years, Mike, even longer, just, you know, you, it's like that old commercial right before your time, maybe not Bobby, but you know, like you've reached the end of the internet. You know, I keep on thinking like, oh, I'm never going to find another great idea again. Then all of a sudden one, you stumble upon one. And it's the same thing with microcap as well. Um, and it's probably one of the places too, how microcap club has evolved is, you know, I would say for the first six years of microcap clubs existence, it was predominantly the United States. And then it evolved up to Canada. And just in the last, I would say two, three years, um, a lot more companies profiled in Europe. 
and also in Australia. And so it's becoming more and more important for any microcap investor, if they have the ability and know-how, you know, to not limit yourself to your own geography, you know, because you can find really great companies, even global companies that are just traded on another exchange somewhere. And so we're starting to facilitate and have some really active discussions on some kind of international microcaps as well, which is pretty exciting. Don't worry, I, I'm I'm already expecting, you know, in two years, to, there's going to be some metaverse threads, you know, <laughs> maybe, some, maybe some crypto that trade there, or somehow some new exchange pops up that you can only access when you're actually in your own avatar. <laughs> you know, we, can yeah. we can go in on Yeah, this. we could. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, one thing I also, you know, really love about Microcap Club that I bet a lot of people probably just assume is that I think most probably think like, okay, they're only probably looking at tech names or maybe some consumer names in there, you know, uh, revenue generating and stuff like that. But there's actually quite a few uh, profile that are, you know, junior mining or, or biotech names. You know, so I, I'd love for you guys to speak to when it comes to the when when you're looking at um, applying to be in Microcap Club, how you know you don't you don't uh, discriminate against any kind of sectors or anything like that, or it, or, or or applications that are profiling some of these sectors. Uh, Mikey, Mike. Yeah, I mean, we, you're right. We don't. Um, um, we just look for a, a good write-up that that you know does a good job of explaining the company, explaining the, the, the thesis. And, um, you know, we think ultimately has a, a good chance of being successful. So that's kind of what we're looking for. And it's, you know, Ian and I screen through the ideas that come in first and we send the, you know, the good ones off for the members to vote on. And then they, you know, the members uh, decide um, what gets in and what doesn't. Yeah. And I would say that there's, you know, I think maybe three, four five years ago, I mean, we would get maybe five applications a month and, you know, lately we've been getting 20 to 25 applications a month from folks just wanting to get in, you know, and so a, a big chunk of our idea flow, you know, also comes from the that application process, which is, which is pretty unique. Um, and I, and I would maybe to, to add something to what Mike said too, there's definitely extra credit Maybe extra credit is the wrong word, but you definitely get bonus points if there's fundamental drivers to the thesis, you know, versus if it's just a story stock, you know, when you apply to get in. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it's tough too, because I'm sure as part of your, you're going through the application and you're looking at this, and you're like, all right, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm sure you have your checks to make sure that, all right, you know, this looks like a good application. They're explaining the company, the thesis is, they're explaining their thesis in a cogent way, but then you have to go in and check like, all right, is this like been a promote? Is this a promotion? Like, has this been a promoted stock? I'm sure you check for all that as well. Yeah. Yeah. We try to do our best to screen out sort of the obvious ones that, um, that have those types of red flags, you know, because our, the members that are going to be voting on it are smart as well. We want to, we want to push ideas, a bulk of the, the good ideas that we think are merit their time to even read the application you know, to them. All right. So you guys have already kind of alluded a little bit to how Microcap Club has evolved over the years, you know, but what would you say is like the main, you know, couple things that, that really stand out to you when you look at, at, at its evolution? Ian? Um, I would say, 
you know, a, a big turning point was when we launched our subscriber offering. So I think that was, was that 2016, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. So 2016. So the club launched in 2011. There was no revenue generating from it until 2016 when we launched subscribers. And we put a lot of thought into what type of offering we wanted to put together because we didn't want to destroy the ethos of what we had built up to that point, you know? And so we didn't want it to be, and here's 10 of the best picks, you know, from Ian and Mike, you know, that type of thing. We wanted to, we wanted to create something that just allowed people to kind of why we joined it and started it. You know, it was like, we just wanted you to have the ability to, to, to find where the, the best microcap investors in the planet are to follow them and then to come to your own decisions and conclusions on the types of companies that that subscriber would want to dive into perhaps more and make come to their own decision. Um, and so we put a lot of time and effort into that. And, you know, I think to this day, I mean, I think it's, it's worked out really well and it's, and it helped in a lot of ways because it, it forced us to think about, you know, how do we get some of the conversations that should be happening to start happening? You know, how do we bring some of our best members, uh, to the, to the forefront, you know, with our member ranking, you know, and that's, that's when we launched kind of those features to allow people to kind of see who the best members are of microcap club to follow those folks, um, to that type of thing. So a lot of, I think a lot of the good things that we are doing now kind of started back in that decision to launch the subscribers and, and, and it's been a great experience, I think for everybody, you know, because the subscribers that join that just pay to get view only access, they just have view only access. They're not, they're not able to post. So it didn't really, um, you didn't really feel an impact on the forum itself by all of a sudden having a lot more people, you know, involved because they could just view the conversations. Uh, Mike, did you have anything to add to that? I think, yeah, I think that was really the, you know, sort of the fulcrum point is, you know, all the changes that we did. And it took us, took Ian and I a year to basically, you know, put in all the groundwork to launch the subscriber option, all the additional features that we added to, you know, to make things easier to follow, to, you know, to rank the members and, and basically to, to help improve the ecosystem. So people could, you know, try to find the best ideas because you're, you know, there's a lot of information on microcap club and, and, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges in using it is, you know, finding the good stuff in the, in the pile of hay. <laughs> By the way, we're recording this on Friday, October 29th. So we're going to get a potential new mix up in the rankings. Any uh, sneak preview? Anybody make any big jumps in uh, in October that we should know about? Uh, well, the, the day isn't closed yet, the end of the, the month. So we yeah. haven't even looked at it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so, so Mike, coming back to you, um, my next question for you guys is, you know, we talked about how the club itself has evolved, but how about your own personal investing style? Has that changed over the years since launching Microcap Club? For me, I think probably the big, it, it, it's changed a fair amount and it hasn't. I think the biggest change is that I'm more of a growth investor and less of a um, you know, less price sensitive than I probably was then. Um, and, you know, um, just trying to find the really long-term growth, which is a challenge in the microcap space. It's a challenge anywhere, but it's, you know, but it's definitely a challenge in the microcap space, but it can be done. Um, and that's probably my, my biggest change. Um, 
uh, apart from spending a lot more time managing microcap club and having less time to actually <laughs> do investing. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, Ian? I think, I think for me, it's, you know, I used to be very concentrated, which was literally in three ideas. Um, and now I'm in eight to 10, which is still insanely concentrated by most people's standards. But I would say probably the place where microcap club itself influenced my investing the most is, is bringing some of those international microcap microcap opportunities to the forefront. You know, when we started getting them in like three, four years ago, you know, when I, and I'm saying international, I would say, you know, Australia, Europe, that those types of places. And then I'm seeing the types of quality businesses that were microcaps in those jurisdictions that really got me starting to look in those areas of the world. And so, you know, to, you know, four or five years ago where I was mainly all North American, you know, now, you know, 30, 40% of portfolios outside North America. And I would say a big part of that is because of the ideas that we were starting to get uh, in microcap club, you know, as applications and also our members profiling those ideas. Yeah, I think I, I remember having the first time I had that same realization was I think, I think it was the summit like two or three years ago. It was the first time I met Thomas Bacharach and he, some of the stuff that he was looking in overseas and Europe and everything, I, that, that was when my mind was like, wow, I, this is almost like a turning point for me where I'm finally hearing somebody, you know, not just looking over there, but incredibly passionate about what, all the opportunities that are, that are out there globally. By the way, shout out to Tom. He just finished, I believe, his last round of chemo. You know, yep. we love you, man. And so just wanted to give him a quick, quick shout out on here. So. Yeah, Tom's great. and He's crushed it. I mean, he, and Tom looks in some obscure areas. I, I know he's combed through every public company in Egypt. You know, because he spent like five years over there, you know, and yeah. so he has kind of a, an edge because he's been over there for not now, but he was for five years. So, yeah, hats off to Tom. Yeah, we're still uh, trying to figure out how we can invest in this Kyrgyzstani airport. Um, I believe that was <laughs> after three or four beers that we really were trying to we're, we're still trying to figure it out. But, you know, <laughs> if anybody could, it's probably Tom. Uh, <laughs> so so my, my next question for you guys is, you know, there, there's been a lot of winners that have been profiled in microcap club, you know, in, in your opinion, why would you say that these top MCC picks were the top performers that they were, you know, Ian, throw you on that. Um, you know, Mike and I were just looking at that list, I think yesterday or earlier, earlier today. And, you know, I think most of the top performers were companies that, you know, just sustained high growth, and had a moat and they just continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, so often, you know, even some of the winners that Mike and I have had over the years, you know, they can win for a certain period of time and then they stop winning. You know, the type of company that would go from a dollar to five and then back to one, you know, because a lot of that growth is based on one product or a service that, you know, was almost more of a fad than it was a sustainable business. And so, you know, those companies in that top 20 or top 30 on our list you know, really have sustained a high quality growth level for a long period of time. I don't know, Mike, if you have anything to add to that. I, I would also add that most, but not all of them are profitable, um, mm -hmm. you know, because that's how you, you ultimately get, you know, a multiple. I mean, it, it can, it, you can, you can get a multiple on revenue, um, but eventually, you, get, you know, a company has to show that they can make a profit. And, and so those that, you know, make it to the top generally are profitable companies. Um, but not all of them. I mean, when you looked at that list, were there any, were you like, damn, like how, 
Like, how did that like? How did that one get to from initial profile to where it is today? And I mean, were you surprised by some of the some of the ones when you reflect on some of those names? I don't. I don't know if there's anything that I would I reacted like that to. There was a lot of that when I when I realized that I should have owned them or paid more attention to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would I would I would frame with that. <laughs> yeah. I think I would say the same thing. You know, like, yeah, it's like, wow, we missed that, you know. And there's there's some that a few that have gone up with, you know, very few comments on Microcap Club, but most of them had a lot of discussion in Microcap Club. But it's mm-hmm. like, you know, how how did we all how did we all miss this or most of us miss it? I mean, I, you know, this is one of the things I envy about you guys is just being able to have that discipline to really be able to discern what is, you know, investable for yourself and fits your strategy. Because as you said, I mean, these are some of the best microcap investors on the planet, all in one place, commenting and profiling these, you know, a lot of potential winners here. So, I mean, how, how were you able to mentally be able to be like, all right, you know, this is somebody who I really respect. They've picked a lot of winners, but not, I'm not going to do that one, you know, when, when it's a new profile. Cause I'm sure all the time you're like, I wish I had an extra couple bucks just to, to maybe throw at this one. Let's, let's see what happens, you know, because of that. Uh, love to hear your thoughts there. Oh, I think for me, a lot of it is, you know, Ian and I both have our own strategies and, and Ian's is different than mine. Um, and, um, you know, but I think we're both very disciplined on following our own strategy. And, and, you know, it's the other thing too, is if you buy into a company just based off of what somebody says, um, it's hard to hold on to that um, stock without really, you know, buying into a thesis with your own mind. And, and so, you know, I think for me, and you know, I'll let Ian comment on his own, but, you know, I have to, I have to believe it the same way the author does, you know, and I may respect the author a lot, but I might not, not have that same buy-in and I can't buy into a stock without just, you know, having that, that personal conviction. I think that's a, that's probably a good commonality with a lot of our members, Mike, too, is because, you know, these are small companies. A lot of them don't have research coverage, which just is a fancy way of saying that you have to do your own work. You know, there's a lot of these, you know, you can't lean on other people, you know, and so a lot of our members are independently minded type folks, you know, um, when somebody posts an idea, it's usually not an immediate rah-rah about it. It's, you know, people trying to poke holes at it, um, you know, things like that. So it's a, it's a, it's great. I don't know. It's a really great community because of that. I mean, but also it's a very hard, I mean, we have some of the best microcap investors in the planet and, you know, we're, you know, when I was looking at how many companies have been profiled since 2011, as of our summit, we had 876 companies that were profiled since July of 2011. And when you look at the performance of all of those companies since the day they were profiled to where they closed the end of, uh, I guess it would have been the end of August, but I think 519 or almost 60% had positive returns, which means 40% have gone down. Um, and when you look drill down to that even further, I think 255 or almost 30 percent have doubled or more since they were profiled, which is a statistic that I'm proud of. I mean, that's pretty amazing that 30 percent, you know, have doubled or more since they were profiled, and because that's almost well, it is that's that's greater than two per month, you know, since the club's been around that have doubled or more that have been profiled. It's pretty wild when you think about it. And then there's around 50 companies that have gone up 500% or more since they were profiled. 
And then I believe we were up to 25 companies that have gone up a thousand percent or more since they were profiled. So 25 out of 876, you know, so we have some of the best investors in the planet on this forum, but it's still hard. You know, it's still a game of power laws or slugging percentage, you know, a lot of times instead of batting average, you know, because, yeah, we're right. If you want to call it that, meaning you made a positive return 60% of the time, you know, but it's really about finding those winners, you know, and holding them as long as they're executing. I mean, that that takes me to my next question here, because, by the way, anybody who's not a subscriber or hasn't thought about trying to apply, you just heard the numbers like that. That says it all you need to hear. Like uh, you should go subscribe if you're at all interested in, in, in microcaps. But, you know, that ties into my next question where we're looking more broadly when we think about microcaps and in the mainstream. I mean, here we have, you know, Microcap Club and there's other platforms like it that have been around for, you know, for a while, you know, obviously Microcap Club 10 plus years now, you know, why is Microcap still not mainstream? Here we go. Here's a form. You just heard the numbers. It, clearly there's, there's incredible outperformance. Um, obviously, you know, people doing the work, don't get me wrong, but why is it still not mainstream? And is there any kind of improvements that we can do to the messaging? I'd love to hear your thoughts here. You know, Mikey, and who wants to go first? Well, I think one of the reasons why, you know, it doesn't seem as mainstream is that, you know, you look at Wall Street in general and it, you know, you've got funds that are a big part of what Wall Street is. And, and, uh, most of those funds manage more money than can be deployed in, you know, in the microcap space. So, so oftentimes they just can't invest in the microcap space. So that, you know, until, you know, the expels of the world grow big enough that they're like, ah, this is a big company. Now I can invest in it. And, and so, you know, that's part of the reason why you don't hear about this on C, you know, the microcaps on CNBC, because, you know, they're, they're fishing in a different pond than we are, and they have to fish in that different pond because it's not practical um, if you have a lot of money to manage to, to fish in the microcap um, pond. However, if you're an individual investor, it's, you know, in my opinion, the best place, if you know what you're doing, to invest because, you know, the, you're not competing against fund managers that have armies of people that can you know, that can look at what some of these big names are going to do the next quarter, um, you're on a much more level, you know, playing field. I, just to add on that, I think another reason why it doesn't have more mainstream, even retail interest is, I think a lot of the times, unfortunately, the way a new investor gets introduced to microcaps is through some um, advertising or, you know, glossy hard mailer they get in the mail or email that says this is the next Amazon and it's going to go to the moon. And, and unfortunately, at the first entree is like a pump and dump. And they, you know, if they do invest into it, they'll lose all their money. And then they'll never come back to this ecosystem again. And, you know, usually when I talk to anybody that's new looking at microcaps for the first time, you, know, you want to have them at least have a fair shot at a good experience. And so, when you look at microcap, around 17% of the companies are profitable. And so I think it's really good just if you're new, just focus on those 17% that are profitable because that'll probably alleviate 90% of your pain, you know, to a certain extent. And so I, 
I think if we were probably focusing more on the ones, the microcaps that had real businesses, you know, instead of, you know, some of the ones that are just story stocks, I think that would bring a lot more eyes and attention in a positive way, you know, to this ecosystem as well. We've had recently, obviously, with the SPAC boom that's been happening and things like that, there's been a lot more interest in smaller companies and small caps, because a lot of times those SPACs are small caps, it might be a little bit larger than microcap. Um, and so it's bringing a lot more interest and retail interest downstream into microcap as well. And I think we felt that you know, really since the end of COVID, when you've just seen a lot of momentum just come into a lot of smaller microcap names. And, you know, that that could, there's obviously that's bad and good at the same time. You know, you just hope that some of those folks are getting involved in microcap for the right reasons and not, you know, just purely momentum and trading reasons, you know. Yeah. It, it's just, it's fascinating to me because, you know, in the last, uh, you know, I, I was just, I was just on on Charles Payne's show and talking about, you know, why the kind of the retail boom and how there's been just so many more retail investors out there. And that's really what drives the microcap market. So it, it's it there's there's this equation that keeps going through my head. And I'm I'm trying not to be self-serving about being microcap media and whatever, but like where clearly that there you would think that because of all these new retail that are looking that are out there drives microcaps. There's clearly that's microcaps is where a lot of them can kind of gain an edge. You would think that, you know, some of the the mainstream, I mean, and giving credit to Charles, you know, he's probably one of the few that actually even gives, you know, uh, some some kind of spotlight on microcaps. You would think there'd be a bit more, you know, rather than just the same damn conversation about Apple and well, okay, Facebook, that was kind of a big deal yesterday with Meta and stuff, (laughs) you know, but but, you know, you would expect there to be a little bit more, you know, coverage just just because that's really what the average retail investor, I would say, is kind of starting to look at, especially some of the younger folks. Yeah. Well, I think I think Mike hit on it already. It's like a lot of it's a lot of the news media is driven by dollars. And, you know, for example, like if you want to put small business in three buckets, the first bucket, venture capital, the second bucket, private equity, third bucket, microcaps, you know, venture capital, private equity, all over CNBC. They're loved. Why? Because KKR is involved there. You know, you have big firms, VC, everybody loves it. Why? Because Mark Andreessen is on there all the time. You know, he manages a multi-billion dollar fund or, or Sequoia or whoever you want to mention, Benchmark. These are big bulge bracket VC funds that have lots of money, you know, that are involved in these names and they're darlings of the financial media as well because of it. And it's, it's really weird when you think about that because microcaps, the same thing as what they are. It's just that our, these companies just happen to be public. And it's really odd, also odd because, you know, it's microcap is almost viewed as riskier, even though there's at least some liquidity than those other two, which have no liquidity. Um, so it's really interesting when you kind of dive into that. And because of that, it's also the advantage of small microcap companies is because it's probably the only one of those three and perhaps the only place in the world where the small retail investor has an advantage because the institutions literally can't and won't invest in these small companies until they're larger and more liquid. You know, the institutions are kept outside the city gates. You know, you're on the inside, you know, where everything else is the opposite. It's funny you bring up the idea of risk and uh, not to not to say, you know, look, I, I think there's a lot of uh, interesting things going on in crypto and blockchain and stuff. But like, you know, it's it still blows my mind, you know, when that gets more coverage than, you know, uh, 
anyways, without, without that's a that's a that's a <laughs> diatribe for another day. But anyways, um, so I think we're at the point now where uh, I want to go through some of the Twitter Q and A. Um, you guys ready for for some of these questions? Really got some hard hitting ones here. You know? So I, I hope you sure. guys, I hope you guys I hope you guys are ready. So um, this is a good one from uh, at Ryan uh, Grayul. At uh, I hope I apologize if I if I mispronounce your last name, but um, he asks here, how do you guys think about share dilution? Is there such a thing as good dilution when a company is trying to hit growth mode? Well, I guess I'll, I'll take the first shot at it and I'll let Ian finish up. Um, so first of all, when I invest, I tend to avoid companies that need to dilute, um, just because it's, it's trickier being involved in a company that's, that likely needs to dilute. Um, but there can be occasions where I'll invest in a company that I know is going to need to dilute. Um, and, you know, it only makes sense to me if, you know, the company is, you know, is going to need the money for a good business reason and it really enables further growth. So it's, it's, you know, Ian was talking before about investing in profitable companies and that's where I, you know, I, I try to start with, and that's where most of my investments are. Um, and I try to avoid those that require financing, but, you know, companies need financing. That's part of the reason why we have the public markets. And uh, so it can make sense to, sense to invest in a, in a company that needs a financing, but you got to be really careful there. Yeah, I, I think you explained that pretty well. I mean, it, it all comes back to why are they raising money if that's if that's a profitable reason or not, if it's a creative one, a per share value, the reason they're raising money, whether it's an acquisition or for whatever reason, or making an additional investment into their core business, you know, it's um, as a microcap investor, your biggest risk oftentimes is dilution. And all we have is the history to look back on, you know, and even when you're looking at acquisitions, I mean, most microcap acquisitions fail uh, to be accretive. You know, and so you just kind of think about that when you think about companies raising capital and even when they make acquisitions, you know, to really to really look at what they're acquiring and see if it's really going to be accretive to them in the long term. Got it. All right. So our next question that I got in from uh, at now a UT one. I'm going to call him Joe. Thanks. You're Jeff. offending all of the people. <laughs> I know. I'm really, I'm really doing horrible here. Uh, <laughs> so his question is, um, in your experience, do companies sometimes have encouraged pay for management to buy stock just to increase SP because it is nearly universally accepted as bullish? What do you guys think there? I've never really heard of that before. Have you, Mike? I have never heard of it. I mean, there's a few times where I've seen things that, you know, where you see like every member of the executive team buying stock where, you know, I suspect maybe that's, that's happened, but I think people are smart enough to know that if, you know, if every member of the management team is, is, you know, buying $3,000 worth of stock, you know, that's probably window dressing versus, you know, versus the CEOs, you know, investing 50,000 or a hundred thousand, that says a lot more than, than, you know, eight executives, 3000 each. Um, so, I mean, sure, it, sure. It happens at some level, but I, I don't think it's, you know, I think it's the exception more than the rule. I know, I know a lot of investors really put a lot of pressure 
on management teams to buy their own stock. And I've always not really agreed with that because you want to find the management teams that do that genuinely themselves on their own right. Um, you know, so even I, I run into that quite a bit, you know, we're like, well, why aren't you buying stock? They put pressure on them to do so. And so the guy or gal goes out and buys $2,000 worth. So, you know, who, who cares, yeah. you know, <laughs> and even if they did, and even if it does matter to them, it's like, you want to see them actually initiate that on their own, you know, genuinely, not because they want to appease some shareholders that are, are short-term minded. Yeah. Hey, Mike. As I say, the other thing too, is a lot of these executives, have most of their life savings um, in you know this microcap that they're in, and it is very difficult for them to sell because of the opposite reason. People are like, "Oh, why are you selling?" You know, get get all concerned about that, and and so oftentimes their only you know or their main opportunity to exit is when the company is sold, you know, and that might not be for twenty years or ever, and you know. Meanwhile, they have a life to live. They might have a house to buy, kids to put through college, what have you. And, and so, um, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, just, I literally, that was going to be my other follow-up too to that is, you know, you know, one, on the one side is bullish. Uh, it, it's bullish to see, you know, management going and doing open market purchases. But at the same time, you know, this idea that it's bearish when you see, you know, uh, insiders then selling as well. And, you know, it, it's interesting sometimes when you see on, on sometimes like on the mess on in microcap club, you see folks say like, Hey, the guy, you know, he's, he's redoing his house, you know, like he's a little bit extra cash flow. Like he's, he's held the stock forever. He's still a, a, has a very meaningful position in it. You know, it's okay. Uh, but I mean, you don't sometimes find out information like that unless you have, I mean, only in microcaps could you potentially find out information like that because you have access to management, which actually leads into my next Twitter question from the same, from Joe. Um, he asks here, you know, where do you often find the best info outside of accounting statements, management, customers, employees, former employees, competitors, other, that was a good amount of options right there. Okay. What do you, got, what do you guys think? I usually, one of the things I've been doing the last few years that I get a lot of good information from is actually trying to locate and talk to the one or two other large holders of that company because they've usually lived and breathed that company for a lot longer than, than obviously I have if I'm new to it. And so they usually know where the skeletons are, are buried or, or things they have or issues they have problems with, or, you know, the 10 other conversations they had with the CEO over the last two years, they can really bring you up to speed on what the reality of the situation is. So I find that's a really good tool to use is trying to locate some other investors that are in it. And I've been in it for a long time and, and just uh, talking to them about it. I think also just one of the one of the best resources I've had is just doing web searches and you have a question, maybe you Google something about a competitor, you know, or find a competitor and see how they're doing and see what they're saying about their business. Um, you know, but all those places that were mentioned in that question are places that are good to find, you know, in very interesting nuggets of information. And sometimes, you know, it's just a matter of finding one nugget somewhere that can really make the difference and lets you know that some idea is really good. So, you know, what I guess I would say is for most investors, they should employ as many of those sources as they can. Um, Very cool. All right. So here's, here's another question that came in from at, uh, from, at Trey, from Trey Henninger. What's up, Trey? Literally just on the pod. 
couple of weeks ago. This is very cool. All right. Trey uh, asks, how much money should someone have before becoming a full-time private microcap investor? Okay. I leave it to you. I think, I think Mike and I did a, an interview or a podcast back in the day on this subject. I think it's on our site. Yeah. That was probably back in 2015, Mike, maybe. Do you remember that one? Me, me, yeah. I, yeah. I, well, I think there's a ago. couple yeah. of them. Um, I think we did two of them sort of on the topic, but yeah. yeah. I mean, not just this part, but they talked about being a full-time investor. Yeah. it's. It, I mean, I think Mike would agree with this and he can give more detail, but I think it's a very personal decision. You know, it's based on, you know, where you live, what your spending habits are, if you're married, if you have kids, you know, what your you know expenses are basically. And, and what you believe is a normalized rate of return you can expect, you know, over the long term. And, and put all that together, you know, for me, when I made the decision, I, 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 I'm a big fan of worst case scenarios. So when I made the decision like 20, 2009, it was, you know, what about a capital would I be able to have where if I sustained, if I, where I could sustain two down 30% years and it wouldn't influence my investing strategy. And so I kind of backed into the number there. And when I was full-time, I was still single, you know, and so my expenses were next to nothing. You know, I could live on Taco Bell and, and whatever, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's kind of the way I backed into it. It was kind of like in a worst case scenario. Mike, what about you? Um, I think all the stuff you said, was, Ian, was, was spot on. Um, what I might suggest is, you know, maybe you need a number like 10 times what you expect your expenses to be. And you have to factor into that if you're single, you know, if you're planning to get married, those expenses, uh, I think all of us here can say those expenses are going to go up, right? As kids come along and, you know, uh, they, they don't eat for free and they have medical expenses and stuff like that. So <laughs> they think they do. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait till they become teenagers. <laughs> I'm not talking about how much they eat, but how, what they think about, yeah. you know, <laughs> how much and it Mike costs. has six of them. He knows. Yeah. yeah, I have six kids, not six teenagers, but yeah, I get yeah, married right. with teenagers. Um, but uh, yeah, so you got to think of what the right multiple is on that number. And as Ian said, it comes down to a personal decision as to, to what you're comfortable with. And, you know, and also, you know, perhaps if you have a backup plan, how that might feel with a backup plan and, you know. Um, and, and, you know, maybe another thing to add to that is where you are in the market cycle. Um you know, is it might feel easier to make that decision when the markets have been roaring ahead for a number of years, but that might not be the safest time to do it. So it, it really is a personal decision, but I think all the factors that we talked about just have to be sort of mixed in and, you know, an individual has to figure out what they're comfortable with. Yeah. You, do, you just have to be really conservative, you know, and what the future holds. I get Mike and I kind of roll our eyes sometimes um, in unison, you know, when we see people talking about becoming a full-time private investor and, and using like, well, I think I'm going to make 35% a year, you know, on this capital. And so I only need, you know, this amount. And we're just like, ah, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's better to have, to be very conservative because the goal as a full-time investor isn't just to support yourself, but also to grow the capital on top of that, you know, so you're going to have to pay bills, but you still want that nest egg to grow alongside paying those bills. Um, so it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's hard, hard in the downtimes. Mike and I've been through it, you know, a couple of times. 
Um, and it's not easy. You know, it's probably one of the things where I tell people where I'm not quite as forceful as maybe I used to be, you know, is, you know, it's not a bad idea to find, just find a job that you love to do that gives you the autonomy to invest you know, the way you want to invest, but find a job that you also love to do that maybe pays less, but provides you sort of that backstop of income and, and, you know, insurance and all that stuff. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, you can, you can do this somewhat, you know, on a part-time basis if you, you know, work hard at it. Mike, sorry, you, you were going to add something to that. Yeah, I, I think also another thing you have to be careful with, you know, Ian was talking about, you know, people using like, oh, I'm going to get this return. Um, the As the amount of capital you have grows, um, it becomes increasingly harder to um, have outperformance, especially big outperformance, because, you know, you're going to think about diversifying, right? And, and um, so I would caution people to be very careful about looking at what their historical returns have been and projecting forward. You know, in addition with that is you might be projecting near market peak and then, you know, you're, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to have, you know, you can beat the market, but, um, you know, it's hard to, to have really good performance when the market is down. Yeah. And, and just to, to, you know, reading between the lines for everybody listening here. So basically if you live in LA, that means like a studio apartment for at least like five years, maybe 10, you know, if you really want to outperform beyond market peaks, right? <laughs> like, nah. like studio, studio, maybe away from the beach, I think makes the most sense. Basically nowhere where you live, Bobby. Yeah. It's, that's why I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, <laughs> surrounded by Amish people. It's like we can live on a hundred dollars a month. So <laughs> there, there is a big concentration of full-time microcap investors, believe it or not, in the Lancaster, Philadelphia area. Yep. So there, there's something in the water there, apparently. Cost of living matters, man. <laughs> 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 Good stuff, guys. Well, we're those are all my questions that we have from Twitter, and then uh, you know from stuff that I have prepared. I mean, closing thoughts. I mean, is there anything that you you're looking ahead, thinking about the future of microcap club, microcaps in general? You know, do you have you have you thought about you know what's next? Um, just at all? You know, I'd love love to hear your thoughts there. Uh, you know, maybe the one one place we're probably going to evolve here quickly is, you know, we, we, we always define micro cap as sub 300 million market cap. And the funny thing is, you know, Mike and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago, and I said, you know, it's been sub 300 million since 2011, you know, probably on an inflation adjusted basis, the definition of micro cap would probably be, you know, four or 500 million, you know, by now. Um, and so we'll probably be raising that kind of threshold of micro cap up to probably at least 500 million here in the near future, you know, for, for those people. And, you know, I think that, I think that'll benefit everybody. Um, but in regards to, you know, in general, general thoughts, you know, I think we've talked about it agnosium, but, you know, I believe microcap is one of the best places to invest, you know, in the world, in any area, if you're a retail small investor or large investor, you know, it's probably one of the only places where you can get an edge because institutions can't invest in these companies. Um, you know, some of the best investors ever started down here, you know, Warren Buffett, Peter Lynch, Joel Greenblatt, some of the best companies ever started as microcaps, whether it's Walmart, Netflix, Celgene, all these companies were microcaps. You know, it supports a big, broad 
part of the economy. I think it's two or three million jobs just here in the United States are employed by microcap companies. So it's important to the economy. Um, so I think it's a validated investment class where if you're willing to put in the work, um, first focus on the profitable companies, don't get enamored with the story stocks. I think it's a place that you can you know, outperform and have a lot of success. Very good, Mike. I think Ian pretty much hit it right there. <laughs> I don't think there's much I could add to that. Yeah, that was that, that was pretty good. That that was pretty good. And uh, so that's, that's a great place to end it, guys. Again, congratulations on 10, 10 years with Microcap Club. I, I hope and pray for for 10, 20, 30, 40 more years of Microcap Club and continue expansion. Um, more folks getting eyeballs on it, more subscribers, because as Ian just so eloquently put it, you know, this is, I would agree, like I said, I agree with everything he just said, but it is the best place to not just get your start, but to really grow and accumulate uh, wealth. So with that, guys, uh, where can where can people go and find more information on you, follow you? Uh, obviously, microcapclub.com, but Mike, where can people go and follow you on social media? Uh, I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm Mike DD, at Mike DD King. Um, Very good. And, and you can follow me at Ian Castle on Twitter, and uh, you can find both of us on Microcap Club. Very good. All right, guys. Thank you so much again for uh, doing this and for everything that you do, and uh, look forward to the next chat. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks, guys. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.